Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast, November 22nd, Lord's Day Service. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the king. King over everything. King with coronaviruses, and the king over America, and the king over Botswana, and the king over you. And I've got something that you can do. I want you to go. Go disciple the nations. Sermon by Pastor Rob Hadding. Exhortation and Communion. By Matt Carpenter. Let's rise and worship the Triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. O Lord, you are my Lord. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Lift up your hearts. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, you bring down the strong tower and raise up the weak. You are a strength to the poor and needy, our light in darkness, a refuge for the distressed, a shadow from the heat, a shield from our enemies. When the enemy came against us, you defended us. When the accuser came before you with our sins, you sent our Savior to pay the price for our sins. Your name is lifted up forever. As we are gathered on your holy mountain to worship, you continue your work. Grant us grace that our praise may be a delight to your ears and finish the work that you've begun in us. For yours, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Amen. This week, we have the privilege of celebrating a wonderful holiday. And although you don't often find it in the church calendar, in our confession, it specifies that there are days that we should take for Thanksgiving, which is the name of the holiday itself, Thanksgiving. We should all, though, remember the foundation of our gratitude. It does not begin with taking stock of everything we have. It begins with remembering what we started with, which is nothing. We come into the world naked, without anything except reliance on others. We come in destitute of ourselves. God supplied us with parents, shelter, food, and clothes. And then, a whole lot of other things. We don't come to God bringing anything. It's not a trend. Our salvation is not a transaction where we say, I'm going to give so much effort, and then you chip in the rest and get me over the hump. We come to Him bringing our foul-smelling garbage. Yet, he has taken us 
as small children. He's cleaned us and he has given us everything we have. The foundation for gratitude is remembering that you have brought nothing to God. And everything that you and I have are gifts. And when we understand that everything we have is a gift, it makes it much easier to then in turn give to others. Because we didn't come into the world bringing anything. God allows us to be a channel of giving as he has given to us. As our Savior said, freely you have received, freely give. Make this the beginning of your gratitude. As we consider the gifts that we've been given, as we come to our time of confession, let's sing Amazing Grace together. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, crimson, they shall be as wool. Father in heaven, our wills want run random. We are driven to do so many other things than to follow you. We have neglected our calling, and we have sinned against our neighbors. We have not been thankful to you, but rather we have engaged in selfishness, in self-pity, and exalting our own righteousness rather than receiving the righteousness of Christ. We are by nature children of wrath, but we thank you that in your mercy we have an advocate with you, Lord Jesus, the righteous one. Cleanse us now, we pray, Father, for his sake. We confess our private sins now before you. Restore us unto your favor. Heal us and cause us to walk in the paths of righteousness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Let's rise and hear the good news of forgiveness. These also who erred in spirit will come to understanding, and those who complain will learn doctrine. Having confessed your sins to the Lord, I say to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. So, hi. Uh, I'm Rob Patrick. I am Pastor Christ Church in Pace, Florida. And uh, I'm glad to be here. I've been looking forward to coming to. Uh, be with y'all for uh, quite some time. I'm excited that today to finally come. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
and he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would illuminate your word to us now. We pray that you would give us understanding and clarity as we hear it proclaimed, and give us zeal and confidence and humility as we strive to work out our understanding. Father, we pray that you give us what we ask because we ask in the name of and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So next week is the beginning of a new season on the church calendar. For some of us, the church calendar is a, a familiar thing. We, we've heard about it for, for our whole lives. For others of us, it might be an unusual thing. And the value of the church calendar is it orients time for Christians. It helps us to understand the ebb and flow of the seasons, not according to months that have been named after pagan gods, not according to seasons, but according to the life of Christ. We are entering into, next week, uh, Advent. And Advent is the time of expectation of the coming of the Messiah. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. So the value of the calendar is something that we don't think about very often, but we ought to. We ought to orient ourselves to the life of Christ, to the ebb and flow, to the rhythms that that creates. I want to point out another strange thing to some of you. I, I am wearing a clerical collar this morning, and I know that this is not the first time you've ever seen one. Uh, it may be the first time you've ever seen one on a Presbyterian minister, and I want to explain why I'm wearing a collar. A collar for the minister is a sign of having been set apart, not because we're special, but it does mark us, mark us out as occupying a certain office. So your mailman drives around in a mailman uniform. The police, you identify them by their uniform. The UPS guy has a uniform. The minister of God also wears a uniform, not because we're saying, well, we're special, look at us. We're wearing a uniform because we want to announce to the world that the kingdom of God is open for business. And that he has men in the world proclaiming his gospel. And so I wear a collar, not because I want you to look at me, because I want you to know and understand that the kingdom of heaven is open for business every day. And there are men commissioned to help you on your way. So next week, as I said before, it is the beginning of Advent. It is the season that marks the anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah, Israel's promised deliverer, who would come in fulfillment of Yahweh's promises to bring judgment upon the enemies of Israel, and who would at last bring salvation. The season culminates in Christmas, when the king is finally born into the world. God himself made flesh. Of course, the way that we celebrate the season of Advent is not in anticipation of his coming, that is, his birth, because he has already come. It is already fulfilled what was written of the coming of the king in Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought, the, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, and they, and they are glad when, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. And in Jesus, in the advent of Jesus, in the, in the, the birth of Jesus Christ the King, he has done this. And so we don't celebrate Advent in the sense that we're waiting for the Messiah, Israel's hope, to come into the world. Rather, we celebrate it in the same way we celebrate Easter, as a point in the story that has already occurred. We celebrate Advent rejoicing. But there is another sense. There is another sense in which the spirit of Advent continues on because we are able to look around us. We are able to look around the world in almost every direction, and we can see that there is still some undoing of the curse that needs to happen. We talk about this in terms of the tension between the already and the not yet. There are many, many things that have already been achieved, and we'll talk about some of these things. But there is still some not yet. Christ has already come into the world. In fact, he has already defeated his enemies. He has overcome death, and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, where he reigns as king. Jesus is the king. But clearly, not all of his enemies have yet become his footstool. There's already, and there's not yet. There is still tension to be resolved. And it causes us to groan. Even the creation groans in anticipation of its liberty from the bondage, of corrupt, bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul says, not only the creation, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so there is a sense in which we still wait, we still anticipate. Now one thing I know about people is that we don't like to wait. We are impatient. We, we, us, like just, just us in this room, are the most impatient people that have ever existed on the planet. Our culture stokes this impatience with this, this instant gratification. Everything you want, you can have right now. Pull your smartphone out, click a thing or tap a thing or however we do that, and it's yours. It'll be in your mailbox 
in 30 seconds, as soon as you walk out the door. We get impatient when our text messages don't get responded to in seven seconds. We want to mash a button and get the pellet. When that little spooly thing comes up when you're trying waiting for your cat video to upload, we want to know who broke the internet. What's wrong? We are impatient. And if we're impatient at the grocery store line, if we're impatient while we sit at a red light, waiting for the return of our Lord to consummate all things is likely going to be a little bit difficult for us. And since it's taken 2,000 years to this point, and for all we know it could take tens of thousands of more years, it may be that we begin to do a little bit of doubting about whether it might actually happen. And given the so-called evidence, the things that we look around and see, we may be even tempted to despair. This is why we walk by faith and not by sight. Doug Wilson is fond of saying that the history of God's working in the world is God going from one victory to the next, all cleverly disguised as defeats and catastrophes. If we are walking by sight, we will look at all of these things as calamities and defeats, and, and we might be tempted to despair, but if we are walking by faith, we trust that all of these things are somehow victories. If we believe what we say, we believe. If we believe what we say, we believe, then we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him and are the call according to his purpose. When Christ was crucified, in one sense, it was the darkest day in the history of the cosmos. It could very well have looked like defeat. In fact, his own disciples read it as defeat. You remember in Luke chapter 24, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, and they're despondent. We had hoped that he would be the one. We had hoped that he would deliver us. And Jesus says, well, well, what happened? Are you the only person around who, don't know, who doesn't know what happened? They killed him. And now everything is done. Everything has gone sour. But of course, Jesus opened their eyes, particularly in the eating of bread together. And they believed. Faith, faith, is believing God. Faith is believing God. It isn't a feeling. It isn't an intuition or a desire to bring to fulfillment something that you want just by believing that it can happen. Faith is to receive the promise of God and to have full confidence that God will do what he has said he will do, and then we live according to that. This is how Abraham's faith is described by both Paul and James. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, we've all, I think most of us anyway, have heard that phrase. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But do you, do you remember the context in which this occurred? Listen to this. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, or Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed Yahweh, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now what's strange about this? What's, what's odd about this? How old was Abraham? He was an old man. And his wife was an old woman. And she was barren. But God said to Abram, you will have your own son who will be your heir. And your offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the heavens. And Abraham, Abram at this point, believed God. So often we talk about faith in our time, and it's a truncated kind of belief that Jesus died for our sins, and if we accept that proposition, then we go to heaven when we die. Now that is certainly true. You must believe in Jesus. You must believe that he is the Son of God. You must believe that your sins were put on him and that he died on the cross bearing your sin. And further, he was resurrected from the dead so that you might be resurrected also. And so that you might have everlasting life. You must believe that. But that is not everything that is to be believed. There's more, as the commercial says. What is to be believed is God. What is to be believed is everything that comes from the mouth of God. You shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. To steal from John Piper, God is the gospel. We believe in him. We believe him when he makes promises. We believe him when he warns of justice. That is faith. Abraham had some track record with God by the time Genesis 15 rolls around, but he didn't have nearly as much of the picture as we do. We can pour over the biblical record and see over and over how God has made promises and fulfilled them. Over and over in Scripture, God makes a promise, God fulfills the promise. God promises judgment, God delivers judgment. God promises blessing, God delivers blessing. God makes promises, God fulfills his promises. God makes promises, God fulfills his promises. One more time, God makes promises, God fulfills his promises. That's his track record. Never has he made a promise that he has not fulfilled. Ever. God makes promises, 
God fulfills His promises. What, what God promised in the Messiah, in the Redeemer, He fulfilled in Christ. And it's very important to, that we realize that Jesus is not the partial fulfillment of anything. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of God's promises to Israel and to the world. Jesus said, do not think that I have come into the world to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In Jesus, the Bible says, all the promises of God are yes and amen. You with me? Okay, I'm not done. So we look back knowing that God is true. We look back knowing that God is faithful, that he is unwavering. That he is all that he says, that he is and he does all that he says he is going to do. And we believe him. We believe God. Now as we occupy this particular time and place in history, we know that there is still unfinished business. Bad things still happen. Every day, I don't know if you remember this. Anybody remember the Mickey Mouse Club, the old one? <laughs> Wednesday was anything can happen day on the Mickey Mouse Club. And we live in a time and place when every day is Wednesday. <laughs> anything can happen. And it does. Right? One day you wake up, you, you, you dial up your Googler, and there's a virus that's going to kill us all. Right? <laughs> But the promise of God, the promise of God is that all things are being put to rights. That's God's promise. In the midst of all the bedlam and chaos and uncertainty, God has promised that he is putting all things to rights and that in the fullness of time, all things will be united, things in heaven and things on earth. Our confidence in God's certainty to accomplish in the future what he says he will accomplish is what we call hope. The first Sunday in Advent, the theme of that Sunday is hope. It's hope, love, joy, and peace. And so next week, I hope that you celebrate hope. Give me a heads up, start, head start on. Hope is something that seems to be on short supply even in the church. Evangelicals in our time, the church in our time is wringing its hands because of the virus, because of the election, because of filling your own blank. You think this is the first or worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world to make things seem like seem like everything was just going off the rails. We've had holocausts. We've had Genghis Khan. We've had Idi Amin. We've had the Bidens. <laughs> we've, we've, all of these things are... I'm sorry for... And my apologies to anybody who's offended by that. Not really. But... Um, <laughs> But we look around 
come. We just seem, it seems to us, if we're, if we're listening to the, to, the, uh, uh, to the media narrative, that we're just going from bad to worse. Everything is not hopeful. Everything is hopeless. Even the condition of the church is cause for some people to conjecture that surely there must be fireballs falling from space any day now. God is about to say, enough is enough, I'm tired of it, and he's just going to blast the whole thing and start all over again. Remember the promises of God. Remember that Christ is subjecting all things to himself, putting all of his enemies under his feet. Remember that even though we groan inwardly, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We trust that God is faithful to bring about all that he has promised. And he has promised in Christ to restore everything, to make all things new, to unite everything in himself. That's what God has promised. This is what Paul is going on about in Ephesians chapter 1, which we read earlier. God, listen, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Past tense. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to adoption as sons. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit whom he promised. And that is the guarantee of our inheritance until we lay hold of it. Paul then goes on to pray that having been enlightened by the Spirit, that, he would, that we would know the hope to which we have been called, what are the riches of our inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked, again, past tense in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right, right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named in this age and in the one to come. Amen. We, we, like Abraham, are told a story. We are told a story that may be difficult to believe when we analyze the data. It may be hard for us to get our heads around the story that we are told. But ours is to believe the story. And there's a great reason to believe the story because God has faithfully executed everything that he has promised in this story. We are to believe the story. We are not to get distracted by evil and mayhem any more than Abraham was to be distracted by the age of his body or the age of his wife's body or the barrenness of his wife's body. These are not distractions for us because we believe God. We believe that he is faithful to bring about, bring about all that he has 
believe God. We have faith, which is what Paul says in Hebrews, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know that God will do it because God has promised it. He keeps his promises. Now there most certainly is and will be a lot of groaning that goes along with all of this hope. Evil surely does persist in our time. We experience hardship and pain and death and anguish and anxiety and all the rest. And as the proverb says, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The conclusion of that proverb is that a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Waiting is hard, but because we trust God, looking back on His eternal faithfulness, we wait with hope because we are confident that He will continue to be faithful to do all that He promises. I am not, not, capital N-O-T, calling you to a kind of Pollyanna view of life, in which you just kind of fumble forward, always looking at the brighter side. That's not what we're called to do and be. I am calling you to a muscular, gritty, deep hope that is based on nothing less than the power and faithfulness of God. That's what I'm calling you to rely on. That's what I am calling you to trust. We're getting close. Living hopefully means living faithfully. It means living obediently. It means living expectantly. We cultivate in hope, knowing that what we build now will endure into eternity. If what we are building is kingdom riches, kingdom stuff, to say nothing of the generations that are to come, we are to walk into the future the same way that Yahweh commanded Joshua to walk into the land of promise. We are to be strong and courageous. We are to be very strong. We are to be very courageous, careful to do all that Yahweh has commanded. Yet Joshua was about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and there was going to be opposition. There was going to be difficulty. Some of them were going to die. But the land was promised nonetheless. It is the promised land. It was going to be scary. But Yahweh said to them, be strong and be very courageous. Do not be frightened, he said. Do not be dismayed, for Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. We have work ahead of us, which is nothing less than to walk in obedience to whatever God has commanded us. When we consider the great commission of our Lord in Matthew chapter 28, 
It is equal parts indicative and imperative. Jesus starts by saying, this is the facts. These are the facts. This is, this is, what I'm going, this is the basis for, what, for which I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And then he says, go do a thing, and then there's more indicative at the back end. I am with you, he says. Listen to the Great Commission. I'm sure you've heard it many, many times. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let that soak for just a second. Jesus said, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is no part of the universe under which I am not over, or over which I'm not in authority. I have all authority everywhere. Do you realize Jesus is saying, I have all the authority. I have ascended. I'm going to ascend to this point. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, uh, right hand of the Father, from where I will rule and reign over the cosmos. Every square inch of the universe, Abraham Piper says, Jesus touches and says, Mine. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the king. The king over everything. King over coronaviruses, I'm the king over America, I'm the king over Botswana, and the king over you. And now I've got something that I need you to do. I want you to go. Go disciple the nations. Bring the nations under subjection to my rule. You go and you teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and you teach them. You teach them who's the king. You teach them how to obey me. We have a role to play in all of this enemies being brought under his subjection. That's, that's our work. And then he says this. I'm with you. Just as Yahweh said to Joshua, I am with you wherever you go, Jesus now says, I am with you every step of the way. You cannot lose. Why can you not lose? Because I'm the king. I have authority over everything. So just go do it. You, you may die, but so what? We beat death. Resurrection. Boom. You cannot lose. So go do what I have told you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't be weak. Don't hide in a corner. Don't be intimidated. Go do what we have been tasked to do. Church, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Don't be afraid. We're walking in hope. We're plowing in hope. We live in hope because God is faithful to his promises. Believe this. Believe this and rejoice. Let us move forward with great confidence, with great hope because we believe God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
thank you that we can hope. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ has taken on the greatest of enemies and has defeated them. And now we are united to him who is the victor. Father, I pray that you help us to believe. Help us to hope. And help us to work according to your will and your way. Pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we anticipate the coming of the Lord, the time when we shall see the reign of Christ in its full fruit, we can remember that He did not leave us helpless. He didn't say, you have a journey, and I hope you make it there. We'll see. He provides food, nourishment for the way. This nourishment is not just a good idea that we stick in our mind and we can think about it at a time when we have good time and ability. No, he nourishes our entire being. The word read, the word proclaimed, the word broken and poured out for us. He gives us this and he gives it to us as a down payment for the time when we will receive fully in all perfection his gifts. If you eat and drink in faith, you can know you will persevere. You will see one day the rule of Christ. The charge today is this. Our only hope is not based on what we see around us, but it is on the eternal, everlasting, and unchanging promises of God. So maintain your hope by meditating on the Word of God. Hear now the benediction. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen. 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 Behold, that's the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. Bless you from you enjoyed the sermon. If you're interested in following us, visit our website at www.trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.